It's just a joy to be here this morning uh, on this really wet day. I saw a, an act of faith as I was driving here this morning. There were some guys down at the cricket ground <laughs> and they were trying to sweep off you know, about five million litres of water off the beach. <laughs> I thought there's faith in man with the day you know, praise <laughs> Well, uh, I want to thank Tim for giving me the opportunity of speaking today on uh, a passage that's always made my heart tremble. The most significant passage for me in the Old Testament, if not the Bible. So thanks to him, and Isaiah 53 is just the most massive, amazing portion of Scripture. Let's pray. Father, help us as we come to your text this morning, your word, to appreciate a little bit more of what Jesus has done. Take us to the cross, Father, and bring us into an understanding of the cross where we just never want to depart from that place of gazing on the one who did it all for us and receiving the benefits of that and the wonder of that. Holy Spirit, illuminate your word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, it was about the 7th century, some people say 6th century, before Christ. There was a large segment of the population of Judah who had been taken into captivity. They're on the, the banks of the river Euphrates. And the grief of dislocation never, ever went away. They'd lost their land, they'd lost their destiny, they'd lost all the promises given to Abraham, they'd lost all that had been said to the patriarchs. It was all just laying in tatters as they stood on the backs of the Euphrates. In their grief, they felt a shame and an abandonment of losing their special status as the people of God. And the dream of a new exodus that would come from Babylon seemed to be impossible. The dream had just been dashed. Psalm 137 depicts it so well, made popular by a pop song, but it was actually a Negro spiritual that made it popular so many years ago. And it says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. <laughs> when we remembered Zion while we were in a foreign land. And into this grief, into this... Travesty marches the prophet Isaiah. We come to that center portion of Isaiah. It's called the center portion or the second portion of Isaiah. We're not sure which Isaiah wrote it. Some people think there are three Isaiah, some two, some, some one. I don't care. It's the word of God. And he brings an astounding message to the exiles. We think he's with them in the exile. And he brings a message of comfort, a message of hope, a promise of a new exodus that would breathe life into this disillusioned community. And we all have our rivers of Babylon. We all have our Euphrates experience. Sin, the consequences of sin, being estranged from God, feeling like we're in a, a lost place, a far land. Sometimes we go through rejection, loneliness, shame, we go through times of deep regret, times of longing, times of spiritual dryness, just like God's people on the Euphrates River. And it's at times like that that we come to a fresh realisation that we need a saviour. To once again be filled with awe, to have an encounter, if you will, with pure love, pure mercy at the cross of Christ. Paul said, as we contemplate the glory of Jesus... 
we are transformed to become like him. That's why Paul said to the Corinthian church, he was with them for two years, he said, while I was with you, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ, Him crucified. So in my life, my testimony is that the cross of Christ is, Christ is the safe place for me. It's the place of great humility. It's where I can be fully, honestly, who Greg is. With all my shame and all my mistakes and all my failures and my sins, I can just be Greg cross and gaze with wonder on my Saviour. And somehow it's the place where all my shame just falls away. All my grief just disappears as I gaze on the one who took it all for me. You'll need your scriptures this morning. I think we're going to flash up some text from time to time, but if you've got your technology there or your, your hard copy or whatever, you need to look at Isaiah 53 today. Let's open it up. Arguably, this is the greatest chapter in the Bible. Some people call it the Mount Everest of the Old Testament. So in chapter 53, we have this moving, stunning account of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It really commences back in chapter 52, verse 13. The last three verses of chapter 52 are part of this great servant song. Charles Spurgeon, who always gets a mention in my sermons, called Isaiah 53, the Bible in miniature, the gospel in its essence. Augustine, the great church father, says it's not a prophecy, it's a gospel. Luther, the reformer, said we should actually memorize every word of this. So it's the leading messianic text in the Old Testament, referred to by the early church more than any other book in the Old Testament or any other uh, chapter. It's so important Jesus referred to it. The Gospel writers all referred to it. You find it in Acts and most of the epistles. It's unmistakably describing the person of Jesus Christ and his mission 700 years before he came. In Acts 8, Philip reads Isaiah 53 uh, and explains it to the uh, Ethiopian eunuch and the, the Ethiopian ruler just gives his life to Christ and says, I'm going to be baptised in response to the message of the Gospel in Isaiah 53. R.T. Kendall, who wrote 12 sermons on this, says, it points both to the crucifixion and the atonement of Christ, as if I, Isaiah was actually an eyewitness to what was going on. It's, it, the way he writes, you'd think he was at the cross looking at Jesus. And it, this passage answers the massive and pressing question that every human being must face. How can a sinful human being find forgiveness for sins? How can you move from a place of being on the banks of your, the Euphrates River of lostness and hopelessness and despair, and how can you find forgiveness and hope and salvation and life in Christ? Isaiah explains for us that sinners can be made right with God because the servant Messiah has become a sacrifice and sacrificed and has suffered the consequences for our sins. He died in our place. He was wounded for our transgressions. So the servant Messiah died taking the judgment for our sins, absorbing sin into his own body on that cross and eradicating forever. Providing forgiveness that sets you free. 
So we look at Isaiah 53, first of all we see some portraits of Christ, and I won't have time to go through all that Isaiah 53 offers, it's just, you know, incredible. But let's have a look at a few of the portraits of Christ. We see verse, verse 2, first of all. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. I love this about Jesus. His appearance was ordinary, plain, nondescript, if you will. He was not the handsome, good-looking, Hollywood-like star that you see painted so often of Jesus. That's not who he was. I doubt he looked royal at all. He had an unimpressive look, and he had unimpressive disciples. I mean, seven of them were fishermen, smelly fishermen, you know. And he, he hadn't a rabbi in his group. There was nothing in his appearance that we should look at him and say, Oh, I want to follow him. He was nothing to us. He was just a Galilean chippy. And apologies to the carpenters here this morning. But he was a nobody. Yet he had a massive, unparalleled anointing of the Holy Spirit that he carried right through his ministry. Powerful healings, incredible prophetic discernments into the human heart. Casting out of demons, able to walk through crowds who had come to kill him, just walk straight through them. Astounding, authoritative teaching like the world had never heard. His authority over nature was impressive. The flow of mercy that came out of his heart, his inclusiveness for every sinner, and the forgiveness of sins he just freely granted. But he carried himself humbly, this king. <laughs> so humbly. He was despised and rejected by mankind, verse 3. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Low esteem. People looked at him and said, mm -mm, uh -uh, He's got nothing. He's just got nothing. The religious elite looked at him and said, mm, We see his power, but it's actually Beelzebub. He's actually operating in demonic devil power. So he was rejected and despised. You know, religion will often do that. You know, religion will often look at a saviour and reject the simplicity of what he offers and try to put all kinds of other stuff around it and rules and regulations. But a saviour comes and he says, no, just look at me, look what I'm offering. It's simple, actually. And so he had that feeling of being unwanted, unacceptable, excluded. Many of you may feel that as well from time to time. That feeling of... Nobody really accepting you, nobody wanting you. People actually betraying you, turning away from you, people calling you names, people criticizing you, people not accepting you for who you are. Jesus knew it all. He walked that road. He knew rejection. And for that reason, he's the great empathizer for you today. He's the one who understands your heart, he understands your journey, he understands your pain. We held him in low esteem. Literally, we could translate this, we treated him as though he didn't even exist. Isn't that amazing? They treated him like he was just nothing, just like the world treats him today so often. And it pains us, doesn't it? When we see people just treat Jesus as though he's nothing, nobody to worry about. Maybe they use his name in a swearing or cursing kind of sense. And nobody who has no claim over my life, he's got nothing. If only they knew. He was a man of suffering. 
and familiar with pain. He knew suffering intensely. And I think about this a lot because, you know, my wife suffers, um, some of you know, she suffers from a lot of pain and has had a journey of pain, particularly these last years, which has been kind of extreme. And, but Jesus knew pain and suffering. And one of the elements of the pain that he knew was that he saw the injustices of the world. You know, we see injustice and it really upsets me, you know. We rescue kids, as you know, as part of my organisation, the Homes of Hope, who have been sold in trafficking. And I was just so happy last night with four new little ones that had been rescued at the border and came into care, you know, who have been drugged and kidnapped. And, you know. and I think about this injustice and it makes me so mad sometimes and so frustrated to do more. And, but Jesus saw it all. He walked the streets and he saw the injustice, he saw the pain, he saw the racism, he saw everything. And he knew it. He knew the hearts of men and women, so he had this incredible perception of injustice and the pain that that must have caused him emotionally, internally. I just can't fathom. Verse 9 speaks of his burial. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in death. He was supposed to be thrown out onto the garbage dump called Gehenna, just outside of Jerusalem. And it's a garbage dump where they burnt all their rubbish and where people who have been crucified and executed would be just thrown there. And, and uh, it was a dreadful place. But no, he ends up in the grave of Joseph of Arimathea to fulfill a prophecy that Jesus' body would not see corruption. And verse 10 says, well, it was the Lord's will to crush him. This had been decided before the creation of the world. You know, the, the Bible says that we were chosen in Christ before the world was created. Before the world was created, the plan of redemption that we're talking about today was already in the mind and heart of God. And it was the Lord's will to see this happen so that you and I could come to a different place. Verse 10 tells us that Jesus was made a guilt offering, a spotless lamb for all who will believe. Verse 10 also implies his resurrection. He will see his offspring. And when we respond to Christ, we are his offspring for eternity, and nothing will change that. And verse 11, God speaks, and he says, My righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. They will be justified. They will be declared not guilty. Not because of anything they've done, but through this sacrificial atoning death. Verse 12, God is saying, Christ will therefore forever be honoured because of his willing sacrifice. He poured out his life unto death. To him be all the praise and the glory and the honour for all of eternity. But all of this has to get really personal for us, you know. It really has to get personal for us. Our eyes need to be opened so that we see that it was our sins, my sins, my transgressions that Christ suffered for. The Holy Spirit has to show us this, you know. You don't get this by logic. You don't get it by, you know, reading theology books, a lot of all helps, but you get this by the Holy Spirit imparting it to your heart. And when you begin to realise that he was pierced for you, crushed for you, and when you call out to him and ask for his forgiveness and embrace, and, and you acknowledge him as king, then you will be saved. Full stop. <laughs> so Isaiah 53 outlines the gospel from the incarnation of Jesus through
through his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation to all there. And Jesus said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, speaking of his crucifixion, he says, I'm going to draw all men to myself. Yeah. All men. I'm going to draw them. There's a drawing power of the Holy Spirit that says, come to Christ. Look at the cross. Come to Christ. Look at the cross. It's the invitation to humanity. Come to the cross. The Christ who died on a cross. And maybe he's drawing you today. And for those of us who know Christ, can I just encourage you this way? Never depart from the cross. It is your safe place as well. It's the place where when the enemy attacks you with shame and when doubt and where you just feel, you know, so, so much of the world's junk on you, you come to the cross and you gaze again and it just melts away when you realise he has done it all. So the cross is our safe place. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that before the world was created, you conceived a plan of redemption that would unfold with Jesus going to this cross. Before the world was created, you knew and loved us and that you would one day call us to follow you. We thank you that Jesus Christ came as a humble servant, that he was obedient, even obedient to death on a cross. And he did it all for us. Help us to gaze on the cross with wonder and awe. Help us to never move away from the cross. Yeah, we look at the resurrection, Lord, and we're so glad for that life, eternal life. But keep us at the cross. And this morning, while we're praying, if you've never asked Christ to forgive your sins, if you've never committed your life to follow Jesus as the King of your life, I invite you to pray with me silently now. Maybe just place a hand on your heart, yeah? Just put your hand on your heart so that this is your commit, my commitment prayer. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, just repeat it after me in your heart quietly. Lord Jesus Christ, I look to your death today and I ask for your forgiveness. I repent of my sin and I commit to follow you as your disciple and with your help from this day on. If you've prayed that prayer of commitment this morning, could I encourage you to speak to uh, Pastor Tim or Pastor Victoria or one of the leaders this morning before you leave, just so that we can encourage you and pray for you on the journey of following Christ. And for the rest of us, I just trust that you will go through the rest of this day with the cross of Christ very strongly planted in your mind and your heart. Amen. God bless you.